Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning, we are our last week in the series on the, um, the pew to the pulpit. And really, the ironic part was, this whole thing was Ryan Heath's idea. And then he took a job change and then fled the country for like six yeah. weeks. And so he's like, well, you know, maybe I can speak in August. And I'm like, look, man, you, got, you, you came up with this thing. You've got to speak at this thing, okay? This is your, your idea. So Ryan Heath and I have been friends for, I would say, probably over 30 years. And my earliest memory of Ryan Heath is we lived on 37th Street together. So he, I lived at 2703 37th Street. He lived at 2644 37th Street. So he was across the street and two houses down from me. And one day, we didn't really know each other, you know, when we were, like, little, little kids. But one day, because I wasn't allowed to go across the street, right? <laughs> well, uh, one day, I learned that there's this kid who collects baseball cards. And I collected baseball cards. And so I went across the street to see Ryan. And he had a, as a Mark McGuire rookie card. And he didn't know who Mark McGuire was. So I just, I'm like, oh, man, this is, I'm like, what good fortune. So I'm like, <laughs> I'll trade you 10 cards for that one card. And then we were with someone who's like, whoa, hold on a second here. That, you know, what are you going to do, trade a Mark McGuire rookie card? So that was my first introduction is trying nice. to rip him off, okay? Nice. <laughs> trying to take his Mark McGuire rookie card from him. And we've been best friends ever since. Yeah. But um, this morning, uh, we're just really happy to have Ryan here and to share God's word with us, as well as today is Ryan's 40th birthday. So, so I didn't know if he needed some help getting up here or maybe if he needs to sit down while he's preaching because, you know, just being up here for that long might be hard on his body. But um, we are just going to, um, again, we are going to believe that God is going to continue to minister to us through his word. And so let us just welcome Ryan and prepare our hearts to receive God's word. You pray for us. So, Lord Jesus, we, we pray now, Lord, we pray for our own hearts, Lord, that you would just soften our hearts. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that would receive your word with faith. God, we believe that you are, you are eagerly desiring to communicate to us and reveal yourself to us. So, God, I pray that we would be open and receptive. God, as well as we pray for Ryan, God, that you would just give him just a, just a measure of, of faith and boldness in your word. God, I pray that you would take any butterflies out, Lord, and just give him a great sense of your presence here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Brett, you hear me? I'm on? All right. There was a little bit of truth to that with the turning 40. I was holding the kids today. and My back's hurting. <laughs> I might have an excuse as to not go up here. Last time I was up here, I had the mic. I talked for just a couple, three or four minutes after Johnny and I went to Bolivia. I was up here. I was holding little Jonas in my arms, and I told him I was going to share about Bolivia. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the church something, too. And it didn't have anything to do with anything. I said, no, I got four minutes. I got to keep moving. I got to talk about it. When I got home, I got in trouble. He's right there with me. I didn't give him a chance. Well, now I got 30 minutes. I'm going to bring it up, right? It still didn't have anything to do with anything. But Jonas tells me, he goes, I want to tell the church something. I said, what is that? He goes, because he only speaks Spanish. He goes, me gusta panqueques. Anyone knows what that means? Anyone knows what that means? What's it mean? 
I like pancakes. That's right. So there we go. We got it. So Jonas likes pancakes, and he wants everybody here to know it, right? So maybe there's a little out, too, because think about, you know, you go afterwards after the service, and someone says, so what's a sermon about? And you get that moment of panic where you can't remember. You're just out there for 30 minutes. Well, now you got it, right? Something about pancakes. We got that covered, right? All right, so I am from the pew. I am not from the pulpit. I am not a pastor, so I don't have the rule. I don't have to start with a Bible verse. I'm going to start with a quote. I'm going to start with a quote from Winston Churchill. I think we might have it up here. It says, There comes a time, there comes a time in the life of every man, a task for which he and he alone is uniquely suited. And what a shame if that moment finds him either unwilling or unprepared for that which would be his finest hour. So I'm going to change that from shame. I'm going to do something a little positive. How about if instead of shame, say how awesome it would be, how great it would be, how much we could celebrate if that moment finds him both willing and prepared for his finest hour. So I'm going to talk to you about that, about willingness and preparedness, what I think was one of the finest hours of Jocelyn and my life, and that was the adoption of my three boys, Malios, Rosendo, and Beto. But I'm also going to talk to you guys a little bit about more than just what the adoption is. This isn't the adoption sermon. There's no pamphlets to pass out. There's no table at the back for sign-ups or anything. It's not about that. It's about being prepared for a challenge that Christ gives us that puts in our hearts that all of us can apply to here. So there's two points that I'm going to bring up. One of them's a little simpler. Johnny mentioned that I'm 40 today, right? So that makes me qualified for a few things. Like, for example, the 40 and over basketball league. I'm in now, right? <laughs> Yesterday I couldn't play, and I'm 6'4". That helps, right? So there's things that I'm qualified to do. I'm over 40 and I'm 6'4". I can say yes to the basketball league when somebody asks me, right? Those things are a little easier. It's the circumstances. It's the neighbors that we have. It's the jobs we have. But it's being willing to do things. But the second part is a little bit harder. It's about preparation. It's about work and work and timing and not giving up to things that are really, really hard to do. Okay, so we're joking a little bit here, but it's time to get serious. Because adoptions don't happen unless something very, very grave happened. Kids don't just become orphans unless it's a serious story. So my story is going to go back to 2002. In 2002, Malios was sharing us a story. He was about seven years old in 2002. And there he was in a remote rainforest area in Nicaragua. He was there with his family. His mother was pregnant. She was giving birth. Picture a wood hut, thatch roof. No modern medicine, no hospitals, no nurses, no nothing available. And she was there on the floor giving birth in this wooden shack. Melios told me the details. He said, he says, unica cosa que recuerdo means the one thing I remember, era sangre, era bastante sangre. The translation for that means I remember the pools and pools of blood. Well, as you guys know, Melios Rosendo and Beto's biological mother died that day. She died, the baby died. It was nothing more than, than the basic medical attention we all get. But in that death, in that transformation, started the Heath family's path into a whole new life. So 2002 was the year that that happened. Interestingly enough, Giles and I, same year 2002, we were one country away. We were in Costa Rica. There was no Spanish in our lives. We were down there just having fun. We get the package. We go see the the volcanoes and the ashes spewing out. We're down at the beach. We're chasing monkeys through the rainforest. Fun, fun, fun the whole time, right? The laughter never stopped. But then it did because, you know, Jocelyn, she stopped with the laughter and she looked to the left and she saw suffering. She saw suffering in the Hispanic community. 
She saw the pain of the developing world. She looked to the right, and she saw more of it. And she's told me something on that day. She said, she said, my heart's just breaking for the people down here. I know we're on vacation. I know we're having fun. But it's just like my heart's changing, she said. And uh, she says, I think, I think I want to learn Spanish. Now, I remember something about Jocelyn when she was in high school. She took Spanish, and she failed. <laughs> if I remember the story right, I think her soccer coach was a Spanish teacher, and they gave her like a D minus just so she can play in the game. <laughs> that was Jocelyn's Spanish. But she said, she said, she said I know. I, I understand that's a challenge. I know I got a D minus that I probably didn't even deserve. Um, but we lived in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. She had a two-year associate's degree. And, uh, and she said she wants to go back. Now, at the time, Jocelyn with her degree, she had a career. She worked for a big business, eight to five. We were double income, no kids. Things were going well. She had her 401K, and there was a workout facility at the place she worked at. Everything's smooth. And she says, and we agreed, too, that she was going to quit. She's going to cancel her career. She's going to go back to school to learn Spanish. And so there we were. And two years later, Jocelyn was a uh, University of Tennessee volunteer graduate. We got any Vols around here? Travis, Amy? Rocky Top, that's right. That's right. So she went back to school. She got a Spanish degree. So I have a question for everybody here. What's the mandatory first thing you need to do after you get a Spanish degree? People that just went to Bolivia know. What is it? Can you answer this? Hey, Seuss, your daughter's there. The short-term mission trip. That's right. After you get a Spanish degree, you've got to go on a short-term mission trip, right? So that summer, 2008, Giles and I packed up. We were going to go to Nicaragua to New Hope Children's Foundation. They got a school there. They got a feeding program. They do all this great stuff for these pastors. And so we were going to go down there. We get all packed up. We're ready to go for three weeks. And right before we left, I got a phone call. And they said to me, they said, yeah, I know you guys got a plan. I know Jaws is going to teach in the school. I know I'm gonna, I was going to do stuff with the finances and CPA work and all of this. They said, we have this little orphanage. I don't even know if we knew it was there. They got this little foster home. There's seven kids in there. And the house parents weren't a fit. They left. We have new house parents that are going to start in three weeks. Exactly the three weeks we were there, they needed house parents. But they said, the reason that we're asking you is that to be house parents over these kids, we need a married couple because you're going to be their parents. They said, we also need somebody who's able to speak Spanish because none of these kids spoke any English at all. And, of course, we need somebody that's willing and able to do it. And so there we were. So we said, yeah, of course. We didn't realize that detail at the time. Um, but I was thinking about now about that's amazing. They didn't need house parents in March. They didn't need house parents in November. They needed house parents for the exact same three weeks we had already bought our tickets and we were already planning on going. So you know what three boys were there at that, of those seven, right? It was Malio, Sosendo, and Beto. And we really truly were their house parents for that time. We were helping with meals. We were doing homework together. Someone got a bad grade. I had to sign off as the parent that I saw it. <laughs> Things are going to change. Um, we even got our first true, like, parent experience. Jaws and I were sleeping in, in the night there, and we hear this rustling, these little candy wrappers. <laughs> and we're like, what do you do as a parent, right? We're not parents. Well, do you, should we address it now? Should we let it go? Maybe it's one time. Um, um, what do you do, right? Because Beto's smiling. <laughs> yeah, he wakes up a little Oreo on him. So uh, that was it. We were really parents for that time. And it's interesting because people ask us about, well, when did you get the boys? When did... When, when did you get them? And, and there's, there's a lot of dates for that answer. Because when we were house parents for those kids in 2008 and our hearts were stirring, to me, that was when I was dad. That was when the process started in 2008. So we got back from our trip. 
And, and it just, we just, we, we couldn't let these three boys go. We just were thinking about them and thinking about them and thinking about them. What does this mean? You know, Giles and I, I mean, it's clear we can have babies of our own. We didn't go down there on an adoption trip. And so we went over to, we hit the Borders books, and we said, well, let's look a little bit about what these adoptions are. We get all these books, and we didn't buy any. It's probably why it's not there anymore, right? <laughs> Just sit down in a little coffee shop, and we got all the books, and we're flipping through them, and, and, and we're reading all these rules. There's, there's, there's these Hague conventions. There's, there's these, these IRS forms you have to fill out. There's all these acronyms. There's agencies and home studies. We're learning all of this stuff, and we're overwhelmed. But it's a set of rules. Thousands and thousands of people adopt every year. So we're thinking about it. Well, we put that book down, and we get the international book out. And we look at it, and we scroll down, A, B, C, and we get to Nicaragua. And we're looking at the rules for Nicaragua. And it says, Nicaragua is a closed country. You can't adopt from Nicaragua. I shouldn't have done those air quotes, so they're contagious, right? <laughs> Forget the air quotes. It's just a closed country, right? <laughs> um, I don't want to be the air quotes guy, right? You remember Ryan? Air quotes, Heath. Um, so my hands are back here. But what it says is that only in the most unique circumstances, only in the rare circumstances, can somebody adopt from Nicaragua. There's no process. There's so few adoptions from there, there's not even an agency to call to ask them about. There's no business for adoptions. And so um, let me give you some stats. I've got some stats for you here. Um, the U.S. State Department. Um, this is from the U.S. State Department from their website. This is 2010. This was the year that we got the boys. So here's Nicaragua. And you see that number, total adoptions, 11. Now, three of those were ours, okay? <laughs> the Heath family's got 30% of the international adoption market from that country. So they got this little bar chart there, right? Well, it's a little deceptive because, like, that first one, that's, that's one. That's, that's not a statistic. It's one person. And you see down there for the older kids, there's three. That, they meant three kids. That's, that's, that's the Heath family, right? That's that bar. That's the Heath bar. Get it? Heath bar. <laughs> Without our process, without us saying yes, there would be no adoption. That, 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 that line would be empty. That's what Nicaragua was like. That's a closed country right there. 20,000 adoptions probably in a year. Nicaragua, 11. God needs to be in that process. God needs to be in that detail. So those are the statistics. But our heart was there, right? So what do we do? We pray, of course. And then I said, well, you know, it's time to get some counsel. We need to get some wise counsel here. We hadn't told anybody. It was just Giles and I and our crazy idea. So we went over to John and Ruth Hampshire, John Sr., Ruth Hampshire's house, and we hadn't told anybody about the process. So we sit down, we recap a little bit about the trip, and, and we tell them, we say, you know, this is what we think we want to do. We're telling them what a closed country means, that you just can't adopt, but this is where our heart is. What, what do we do? And, you know, I'm ready for a discussion, for more details, some questions. John Hampshire Sr., he told me four words. He said, bring those boys home. Four words. He said, bring those boys home. It's interesting because I, I practiced this a little bit, probably 30 times. I was driving one time, and I just kept thinking, bring those boys home. And, and just the tears were coming down. And I just thought, he might not even remember that day. He might not even remember telling me, bring those boys home. But his advice, his counsel for me, was it just, it just pushed me through that whole process about, we have to overcome these things. We have to bring those boys home. Amen. It was so powerful. Excuse me. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so we started the journey. We started the, the adventure, the trials, the pains. And uh, we said, you know, it's going to take a lot. There's no agency, so we're going to have to do this ourselves. 
there's, um, it's a closed country. So we may go through the process and go through the process, and they might, they might just tell us no. That all could be a waste. And uh, so I was preparing my text a little bit, you know. I was like a little pep talk. So we're going to do it, right? We're going to give it our all. And Johnny was looking at this, and Johnny says, you're not telling the truth there. This, this wasn't a pep talk time. It's not about we can give it our all. He's like, you guys gave it your all. Every vacation day we had for years, no trips to Florida to see our family, no camping trips, nothing. It was trip to Nicaragua, trip to Nicaragua, trip to Nicaragua. It was all our savings. Every penny we had was spent on that trip. It was hard. It was difficult. But it was what Christ had for us. So thank you for letting me elaborate on that because it was. It was really hard. I had this old pickup truck that I drove because, you know, we're spending all our money on adoptions. They call it the Iraqi Cruiser. You guys ever remember, like, on the news, you see, like, those busted-down old pickup trucks on the side of the road, you know, the rebels are using? That was what I drove. It was an $800 car, the Iraqi Cruiser, because we were going to Nicaragua, and we were going to Nicaragua, and that was where the money went. <clears throat> but it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us that went to Nicaragua, as you guys know. Mercy Hill went with us. I mean, there's people in this room here, Ruth Hamstra, Jane Hugerworth, Pam Powell, she left Little Brook at home to come down and support us at critical times. Because there were a lot of times during the trip where Jos, I had to work and Jos was down there by herself. And if you guys ever second-guessed, you guys remember sort of the end of your trip when you were there and it was time to go to the airport? And there was Jocelyn who had to stay behind, just crying and crying, cancel your trip, stay longer, stay longer, she would say. Because it was so powerful that you guys chose to come down. You guys kept the process going in such a way. And, and it wasn't just the finances, too. We were going down on trips. There would be people at the church that were giving me envelopes full of money, saying, saying do something nice. You're going to be parents. Take them somewhere. Do something special. So i got a question for you. So we did, we did a little shower afterwards when we got the boys. Some of you guys might remember that. So when you go to baby shower, how much do you give? What's, a, what's an appropriate amount for a gift? We got any answers? What's an appropriate amount? Frank doesn't know. You don't go to baby showers. <laughs> what do you give for a baby shower gift? This isn't rhetorical. Give me some numbers. $20, $30, right? Courtney Condis, 35 Very generous with us. Courtney, I don't know if you're here. I don't see you. But she gave us $35. Target gift card. We had a lot of mouths to feed, right? So we're over there buying food. And we go, and it went over a little bit over $35. We go to check out. The lady hands me the gift card back. And I says, no, just throw it away. I don't want to get it confused. I don't want a gift card with any, any, without any money on there. And she said, are you kidding? She said, there's over $300 on this gift card. Left. <laughs> It wasn't $35 that Courtney Connors gave me. It was $350. That's Mercy Hill right there, isn't it? It is. So I think about people say, oh, it takes a village, right? You hear all that, those politicians say, it takes a village. And I, I say no to that. I say what it takes is a local church. What it takes is people that are down to earth. What it takes is Mercy Hill. That's what it takes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So that's Mercy Hill. That's the church. Let's go back to Nicaragua a little bit, okay? So I told you it was a closed country. Well, they also have something else not going for it, right? Nicaragua, in the whole, all of the Americas, is the very poorest country. On the stats, only Haiti barely beats it out. And you know the problems that they got, right? Do you know what it takes to be the very poorest country? Of all of them, the poorest? How many billions of bad decisions you've got to make? How broken down the government has to be? How much corruption is there? It takes earthquakes. It takes natural disasters. It takes civil wars. Nicaragua had all of those things. So there we were, going to the eye of this storm, a closed country that won't even let you adopt, totally broken down system. You think the BMV is bad? Take it times 1,000. 
You think getting your license plate can be a trouble here? Times a thousand. That's what it's like going in their country trying to do this. But we went down there and we talked to the government service. Me Familia was the name of the agency. And they're the ones that do the adoptions. What, what's it called here? Like where you have people put people in homes and there's a DC something. What's that stand for? Yeah, DCF, something like that. That's what it is here in the U.S. In Nicaragua, it's called Mi Familia, My Family. And it's an organization that's, that handles all the cases within the country for adoptions and things. So we get down there, and we go down to talk to the people that, that are at Mi Familia. And the director sits down with us on the first day. There's Giles and I. We got our little paperwork. This is 2008. We're ready to present it to them. Nobody there speaks any English, right? This is all in Spanish. We got a lawyer. She doesn't speak any English. Thank you for going back to school, Jocelyn. Because um, she really carried a lot of those first meetings. And we get down there, and we're talking to the director. Um, I was going to say I can remember her name like it was today, but I don't remember her name. Um, but this director down there, she told us, she said, she, um, she said, Ustedes son los únicos. Anyone know what that means? Any Spanish speakers here? Ustedes son los únicos. What's that mean? You guys are unique. You're the only ones. That's right, Brian. You guys are the only ones. And there's that word again, you guys are unique. They said, you're the only ones that would take three teenage boys like this, three brothers trying to keep a family together. You're the only ones that would do that. And she told us, she said, she said so often people see adoption as a last option that you, know, you, you can't otherwise have kids or for whatever reason, it, it's at the end. She said, you Christians are different. You Christians see adoption as a first option. And uh, once again, i got to thank Johnny for this, because I put that in my notes, you know, and I was like, man, that's really powerful. And, and you know, Johnny told me, he goes, he goes that's a highlighted point there, right? That's, that's Jesus right there. Because we went into that room. Jocelyn didn't have a Bible in hand. I wasn't wearing a Jesus freak T-shirt. But we walked in there, and she said, you guys are Christians, and you guys are different. And that's, that was the power of Christ in this whole process. So, Johnny, thank you for that, because I, I, don't, I don't know. I wasn't trying to pat myself on the back, but... That was what Christ looks like. You know, people talk about how, like, oh, I'm just going to be good, and my neighbors and stuff will see that. She saw it. That's how powerful this was. She said, that's Christ living through you. And wow, wow, it was awesome. All right, so that was a lot of the pregame, right? Let's talk about the trip. Let's talk about the adoption a little bit, right? Eleven trips, there's got to be some adventures. So quite a few people have been to Nicaragua with the New Hope now that we've been down there. And so what do you do? You go to Delta United, you get in this big giant plane, coffee served, there's a meal, and you fly to the capital. That's the easy part, right? That was where the orphanage was, where the boys lived. However, there was a lot of times we would have to do some processes and paperwork and things in the other side of the country where they're from. That was the remote area, the rainforest area. And this area is so small that they didn't have regular airplane services. They had this little company that would have these little, like, 12-seater airplanes, no pressurized cab and no meal served. And we'd get in there in this little, tiny, this little tiny airplane, and I want to sit in the front so I could see what the pilots were doing. And, and so I'm sitting in the front seat, and we get ready to take off. The pilot turns around, and he asks me, he goes, move your feet over a little bit. I want to slide my seat back. That's, that's how small the airplane was. I had to slide over so he could move his seat back. It was like a clown car in there. We were all packed in. So we get on the plane and we take off. It's probably an hour flight across the country. And, and I, I see this little screen they got with the radar, right? And it, it shows the, um, the weather that's coming, these little red and yellow blobs and stuff. And he'd see a little red blob on the screen and he'd turn the plane left and he'd turn it right. And we'd avoid all these red blobs. With this last turn, the screen is just all red. They call it the rainforest for a reason, right? 
There was no avoiding it. So we're on this little tiny plane, no pressure, and we hit the red blob. It's like Great America times 100. Up and down, up and down. I see the altimeter, the, the distance spinning down, 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 and then up and then down. Terrible. Well, Jocelyn and I had to take that flight a couple of times, claustrophobic Jocelyn. I was on it a few times. All the boys flew over. For whatever reason, we got a couple of pictures. We got a picture um, of from the flight. There's little Beto. Remember him? You see the bag underneath? It wasn't easy, right? And I think I got one of Rosendo as well. Yeah. That's Rosendo mid-flight. So if you guys can capture what that experience is like. <laughs> and we had to do it over. And he hadn't been to Great America. You didn't know what that sensation is like. Some say that's fun, right? That little Rosendo. <laughs> so we get there, right? So we come down. We get there to the village. They fly over. And there's no communication with the ground, right? There's this little gravel run strip. So the pilot has to fly over and look down to make sure they've cleared all the animals off the runway. There's nobody walking around. We finally land the plane and we get there. <clears throat> so for this particular trip, we had to visit Grandma. She had paperwork and stuff she had to sign. And, uh, and so um, we get down there and there's no way to contact Grandma. We need to come to the town, meet with the agency. And we're not sure even what we were going to do. No radios, no, well, they had radios. There's no cell phones, there's no electricity, there's no communication. And so a guy from the town says, hey, there's a, there's a way that you can get a hold of people. We have a radio. And so you put announcements on the radio. So I walk with this guy down to the radio tower, to the radio station. I say, all right, I want to tell everybody that I'm in town. We want grandma to, 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 to leave her little village and come down here. So I tell him, I said, my Spanish, you know, yo quiero tres, tres anuncios. And they're all laughing at me. <laughs> I'm like, that's Spanish. I know that means three announcements. And they're like, no, 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 that's fine. Nobody ever does three announcements. It's a waste of money. You put an announcement on the radio, you hope it gets out. I says, you know, I came a long way. They're like, nobody ever does three announcements. I says, well, what does it cost? Is that what it is? They're like, all right. If you want to do three announcements, it'll be $1.50. <laughs> so I paid up, right? <laughs> and sure enough, the next morning, little grandma, four foot eight, comes hobbling into town. She did all the paperwork we needed. Yeah. So God's in those details, huh? Yeah, God's in that. All right, so let me sum up a little bit about what, what those adventures are like. We took 11 trips down to Nicaragua over those two-year periods. I counted up the time we were there. It was mostly Jocelyn um, for the time we were there. In those two years, she was there for over 150 nights that she spent in Nicaragua. Now, these are tough times. Like, things weren't always working right. And you got a picture there of her standing out in the rain. Can anybody see what Jocelyn's doing there? She's doing the dishes. We went so many, there's so many weeks went by where there was no water. Dishes were all piling up. And finally when it rained, you can see how bad that, that's supposed to be a gutter that takes it away, but it was leaking so bad. Jocelyn would go out and she would do dishes in the rain. She'd wash her dishes in the rain because we never had any water that was there. And uh, it was tough. It was a lot of work. 150 nights, Jocelyn, thank you. Thank you for that commitment. Um, <clears throat> so that's a little bit about the adoption, but so what's the application, right? This isn't the adoption speech. There's no, we're the clipboard church, right? There's no clipboards coming around, signing up. Why am I telling you guys all about this? Well, back to the quote at the beginning, we talked about willingness and we talked about preparedness, right? And this was an example of having to be prepared to do what Jesus plans for our lives. Jocelyn quit her career. Jocelyn went back to school to learn Spanish. We committed to that time to go on that mission trip. We agreed to be house parents instead of just doing what our plan was with the English in the school. That's about preparedness. But we see it all here, all over Mercy Hill, right? 
mean, you see Corey up there leading worship. You see Ethan strumming away, doing his piano. There was a time when Ethan was a little kid, right? And all the kids, I want to play outside. And they're like, you're going to learn how to play the piano, son. And he was typing away, right? There's Corey on the guitar, strumming away, working at it, practicing in your room, learning sheet music, on and on, going to school for it. So when the call comes and they say, we need someone here to lead worship, that's hard. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't pick up his guitar this morning and start strumming away. Corey, thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do that. Thank you for leading us in worship. It's powerful. It's important. And it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in the life of Mercy Hill. So thank you for that. So I want to encourage everybody here. What's brewing in your heart? What's hard to do? What have you been thinking about doing that's, that's not easy? That could take years and years and years to accomplish. And, and maybe, maybe it's time to take that next step to do that. We did that Stepping Up series, the, the men did, and they had a question in there during the Stepping Up series. They said, hey, they said, hey men, what, what's your greatest accomplishment? What, what have you done that was significant? You know, and, and, and people would, would they'd look for that, that right answer, right? Like, oh, yeah, I, I, there was a drowning kid in the pool, and I jumped in and I saved him. I did it. I was in, I was in the service. Guy got shot, went down. I went through the bullets. I rescued him. Guys, that's not life. Those are movies. Those are novels. Life isn't one second, one accomplishment, one instant. It's not jumping into a pool. Life is long. Processes are hard. Things take years and years and years to do. That's what the greatest accomplishments are. And I, I thought the question was, was a little unfair. It was a little tough because sometimes people walked away and, you know, they said, I don't know if I've accomplished anything. These are fathers that raise their children, right? I mean, these are faithful employees at their work serving. We've accomplished things, guys. We've accomplished a lot. Okay, so I talked about the adoption. I talked about things get done. Corey playing the guitar. Things are happening a little bit. So I have a little adoption story that wasn't quite as happy. We were at one of those LifeLink conferences. You know, we go down there. I think it was where the, they called it celebration. You know, we camped. We had the pool thing. That guy from Africa talked. And, you know, there's a guy there. He knew that we were going through the adoption process. And so, you know, he says to me, hey, you know, my wife and I, we got such a heart for adoption. We're so excited about it, he was telling us. And, uh, and so, you know, we're, once you're in the adoptions, you're in this club, right? We've got like sort of our secret handshake that we do. So I'm asking a guy, oh, man, where are you at with the process, you know? I said, what do you think about all those home studies? Man, how many thousands of dollars that cost? You know, he said, no, I, you know, we haven't, we haven't actually done any of the home studies yet. And I said, well, what about the classes, you know? I mean, you all these classes you have to do, they take forever. And he said, no, no, we actually haven't any done any of the classes either. And, and I wasn't setting this guy up. I wasn't trying to embarrass him. But his vision, his plan, where he felt God, he wasn't preparing himself at all. Because he's waiting for this call, right? So let's say he gets the call in the middle of the night. There's been an accident. Mom died in the accident. We got a two-year-old little kid. He needs a home. What's he going to say on the phone? Oh, Oh, that's fantastic. Well, hey, it's the weekend. My wife will call on Monday. We'll, we'll get started with some of those classes. We finish those. We'll do the home. No, no. The, the kid's here now. He needs mom and dad now. They've got to say, we're not prepared. We, we didn't do what it took. God put this on their heart, and they didn't act on it. And uh, I thought it was so sad. I mean, it's sad because it's true, because they didn't do it. And um, I don't know. Maybe I should have pushed him a little harder and said, get to work, right, if that's where it puts you. Because he could be a year out, and where's that kid going to go during that year when mom and dad weren't prepared? So, yeah, so that was a little hard. And, uh, but the point is preparedness, right? 
is getting up, getting ready. But I also talked about the other point, and that point was about things we're already qualified for. It, one of the things that sort of gave me the push to get going with this, talking, you know, pew to the pulpit, I got to come share. You guys remember about six months ago when John Pasco came up here? And he shared just for a couple of minutes, and he said, he said, yeah, he was at the gym or the store or something, and he felt like he's got to go talk to this guy, uh, share the good news with him. And so John Pasco went and talked to this guy, and he said, and the guy starts rolling his eyes. He said, look, you know, I, I grew up Catholic. You know, I know the rules. Maybe he was Lutheran or something. But anyway, he grew up in religious school, went to schools, did all that. I, I don't need to hear it. And, and you know what John Pasco was able to tell him? I, I did too. John Pasco went to that school. John Pasco grew up with that same background. And John Pasco was able to say, I've got some good news for you. And the guy listened. He was able to talk through the process with him. John Pasco was able to relate. Thank God it was John Pasco talking to him and not John Hampshire. Because John Hampshire didn't have that qualification. He didn't have that experience. So John Pasco, thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you for being there. Because he was in the right place at the right time with the right qualifications. And hopefully you planted a seed. You made a difference in that guy's life. I mean, it, it, to me, that's just a fantastic story. But we've got it all the time, right? I mean, we got, we've got, we got Jack the postman, right? He, he's in with postmen in ways that I'm not. You know, we got Bill the electrician. Bill's talking to electricians all day long. He's got an in, right? Think about your next-door neighbor. If I go to your next-door neighbor's house and I knock on the door, a Bible in hand, what are they going to do? Are they even going to answer the door? They're not, they're not going to listen, right? They'll listen to you. They'll hear what you have to say in a way that I can't, that Pastor John can't. He can't do it. So I encourage you guys to be willing, to be strong in ways that you guys are already qualified for. Yeah. You guys know 1 Corinthians 12, 12, right? One body but many parts, many members, because that's where we are. We're all different members with our little qualifications that we have, and it comes together to form the body of Christ. So let's celebrate some of those hard things, right? Let's celebrate the Kupakowskis. Let's celebrate the Shabbats and the Maples leading children's ministry down there. Amy's a professional. Amy's got a master's degree. Amy's a professional. She's a high school teacher, taught history. And what is she doing now? She's down there teaching Bible to my three-year-old. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for doing that. Because it's all about these successes, right? When we're willing and say, yes, Lord, I will do that, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will do that, Lord. There's a lot of success. So I got this little video for you I'm going to show. I, I don't know how you guys even decided to do a video of this. But uh, let, me, let me get the timeline here, right? This is about our adoption. And that um, the boys had been on the other side of the country where the capital is hundreds and hundreds of miles away from their family with no electricity, no communication. They had been gone for like three or four years, five years, however it was, they were gone away from the grandparents who had tended to the boys for a little while. And so when Jocelyn flew across that country on that tiny little clown car plane, um, she had to ask the grandma, are they willing to let the boys be adopted? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Because no signature from grandma and grandpa, no adoption. So I got a little two-minute video here that shows um, of the process of when Jocelyn went to the, to the to the little village. You do the lights. Hello, hola, Natisma. We're on our way to Wees Wees to meet the boys' family, their grandparents, uh, see how many brothers or sisters they have, aunts, uncles, any family at all. We're right now going into some other houses. 
and uh, we believe that the uh, parents or the uh, grandparents or the three boys are going to uh, be there in the house. That's what we're expecting right now. There's Grandma and Grandpa. no importa que el Señor me lleve ahorita y porque ya ustedes también están conmigo. Ya pica me siento muy triste porque ya bueno ya sé que la mamá ya partió. Okay, Adam, you can pause that now. Stop that now. You guys read that? God found them a new mother. Mm -hmm. So that was the first meeting. And it's clear these people are very poor, right? There's no demands. There's no requests for money. There's no expectations. It was like when John Hampshire told me to go down there and said, bring those boys home. In one second, she said, I know that God found them a new mother. And so, um, although Grandma's not in the picture there, you might not have noticed, but Grandma, was, she was wearing all black, right? She had a black shirt on, black pants. And uh, <clears throat> Melios told us later, he said, um, well, can you go to that last picture I had of the Grandma and Grandpa? <clears throat> so, so you see what she's wearing there, white shirt, green skirt? After their mother died, she mourned. And she wore all black. And she mourned for years and years and years. And the day after Jocelyn came down there, and she said, she said, they've got a mom and dad now, she stopped mourning. And so there we are. So thousands of miles away, a decision that Jocelyn and I made, a message from John Hampshire Sr. saying, bring those boys home. Jocelyn quit in college, or quit in school, so she could go back to college and learn Spanish. Yes, yes, yes. And see how many lives it's touched? She could stop mourning. She was free from that. The burden was over. She could wind down her lives with a smile on her face, knowing that these three boys, Melios, Rosendo, and Beto, have a new mom and dad. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's about it for the conclusion. But I guess the one thing I want to do is just, just the challenge, to say, what's on your guys' hearts? What's hard? What's the vision you have that Jocelyn had? Maybe quitting this, maybe selling that, doing something hard. And if you don't have that vision, talk to Johnny, talk to the leaders. Get down on the knees and get praying and say, let's do hard things. Let's look like Christ. Let's do what we have for the mission here. Jonathan, thank you so much. Thanks for agreeing to do that. Amen. Is that John?
Thanks, Ryan. It's really powerful. His challenge to us to really ask the Lord, what is it that he's put on our hearts to do? Because God has uniquely given each one of us gifts and has called us to many different areas, some to adoption, others to reaching international students, others to uh, reaching their neighbors. Who knows what that looks like? But God is in the middle of all of it. And it may be costly. Like for Ryan and Jocelyn, it was costly. Every last penny of their savings, all of their vacation days, all the things that as a, as, as a double-income you know, couple with no children would think, like, these are our rights. We can go out, we can go to the lake every weekend, we can, we can vacation here, we can spend our money this way, we can get a bigger house, nicer cars, all those things they were able to give up for the sake of what God was calling them to do. But it was worth it in the end. There's no doubt in my mind if we were to ask them, was, you know, would you give all that up to go back to that? They'd say, not in a million years. Because there's something greater that God has for each one of us that he's calling us to. And so I just want to reiterate that. That's a challenge for each one of us. To, for us to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to? What are the things that you put in my heart? that I can, by faith and by your grace, begin to walk into. Because in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ, he has qualified the unqualifiable. He's qualified each one of us to walk in obedience to him and to walk in the ways that please and honor him with all of our lives. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going we're gonna to distribute the elements now for communion. And I want to take this moment, as the communion elements are being distributed, to really... Take some time to do business with the Lord. Ask him, Lord, what are you calling me? It may not be international adoption. It may be, Lord, I'm going to surrender maybe some finances to give to missions. Maybe it's not something that's this huge thing. Maybe it's just little, little things that God has called us to do. And so we're going to take a couple of minutes as these are being passed out, and we're going to take some time to do business with the Lord. We're going to ask him, what is it that he is calling each of us to?